Afternoon, folks. We'll get started here. Uh, a couple of announcements to begin with. Uh, first off, I know that many of you are planning to go into the healthcare professions like medicine, dentistry, chiropractic, physio, etc., etc. However, that may be plan A. It doesn't hurt to have a plan B. Uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell God your plans. Because chances are things are going to go astray somewhere down the line and you're going to end up doing something entirely different. The reason I mention this is because I sent you all an email and it's posted on the course announcements regarding the athletic therapy information session that's next week on Thursday. I'm not suggesting this is a good alternative. I'm suggesting it is an alternative and you should have lots of alternatives, plan A, B, C, D. There's no way in the world, when I was your age, I imagined that I would be a professor at a university and talking to hundreds of students at a time. It just like, wasn't even in my mind that that would be a possibility. And yet, here I am, 80 years later, still teaching uh, university courses. So my point is, check things out. Next thing. Um, Quiz one, I received the marks back on, well, last night, this morning, whatever. Uh, I'll get those posted sometime today. I've been teaching all day, so I really don't have a whole lot of time. But I will get them done some point today. The exams will be uh, placed in the uh, chemistry building in room 163, where they normally are for this course. Uh, you can take your copy. If you wrote the exam, if you didn't write the exam, there are blank versions. You only need one copy. The exams are all the same. They're just different order, different questions, etc. All right, so don't take somebody else's exam. Take yours or take a blank. And the exams will be there for about a week, maybe 10 days, and then I will assume you don't want them after that and put them in the recycle bin. I can't tell you what the average mark is. I didn't have time to look at stuff. I will know that, and I will send out an email about that afterwards. All right, next thing. Last lecture, which was a week ago, we talked about a model for skilled performance. And one of the things we talked about was the limited capacity to, to uh, process information that we all have. We talked about distracted driving, and last night, there was just a horrific accident just north of Toronto uh, on Highway 400. Uh, and uh, it involved a couple of t transport tankers, you know, full of gasoline, fuel, flammable stuff, and uh, a number of other cars. And the police, uh, in their initial, have said it must have been due to driver inattentiveness. In other words, not paying attention because they were doing something else like texting or on the phone. Uh, this accident was massive. You can see some of the uh, results and, and what occurred, traffic had slowed or stopped due to another accident further up the highway and cars and in this case big transports barreling into vehicles that are stopped. The only way you run into a stopped vehicle is if you're not paying attention. Like, how can you not see? There's a car there, it's stopped. Oh, I think I'll run into it? No, I, 
happens because you're not paying attention. The, uh, some of the footage is quite dramatic, the actual flames and the, like it's melting the highway. There's at least three people dead. They don't know how many others because all the vehicles are charred. You gotta go through and sift with the fine tooth comb to find bodies. So if you get nothing else from this course, do not text and drive. Don't do distracted driving. It doesn't work. Last class, we finished off talking about this notion that to become a skilled performer, there are two costs to it. One, you have to pay in time. It takes time to become skilled. Two, it is specialized. So practicing gymnastics will not make you a good basketball player. Practicing music will not make you a good volleyball player. You need to practice the activity that you're working on. So that's this notion of specificity in, in training. All right. Now skilled performers, they gain another advantage with this automated processing that they do. Right? The Nike slogan, just do it. They don't have to think about it. They just do it. They can use their processing capacity to do other things. You can think ahead and plan strategies, and you can anticipate your opponent's move. Now, that would imply sporting situations, right? So, when you are learning basketball as a peek-in, you learn how to dribble the basketball. And most of us need to look at the ball. And then we become a little more skilled, and we can look up every now and then, and then back at the ball. And then eventually, we don't have to look at the ball at all. Now, when I get to the stage where I don't have to look at the ball, I can now worry about what my opponents are going to do. Or I can plan strategies. Wow, if he stays there, I'm going to dribble around him this way and go and do a layup over here. Because you don't have to think about what you're doing, you can be more successful and, as it says, anticipate what your opponents are going to do or come up with strategies. Well, that's in the sporting world. Let's take another situation. You and your cell phones and walking. I watch students wander around this campus texting and walking, and they never run into anybody. Like, how do they do that? Well, because the activity of walking is highly automated for most of us, we don't have to think about it. We just do it, and we plan our way through these busy crowds. Have you ever tried to be somewhere in a hurry on York's campus? Like you got a 10.30 exam somewhere and you just got out of class and, you, and it's crowded and you, you plot your strategy as you're walking through the crowd. You don't run into anybody. You just kind of, whoops, I'm going this way, that way, and you dodge through. They don't need to monitor your performance. So you don't have to think about it. You just do it. And that allows you to think about other things. Unless you are driving don't be thinking about other things. Focus on the driving. Now, this model with the three stages, remember the stages were perception, decision, and effector. We'll talk more about it later on in the course, but it was the first model that we introduced earlier on. Each of those stages takes time. It takes time for you to see something, the signal to go through your eyes, onto your retina, through the optic nerve, optic chiasm, switch sides, through all that other stuff. And then you have to do a decision based on the information you've seen. And so you're processing. That takes time. 
And then you have to send a signal to your muscle to do something. Each of those takes time. And it's helpful to know that the total time that it takes for all of that to happen is referred to as response time. And each of those stages functions differently. You've heard Professor Sergio talk about it. You know how stuff goes into the visual and the sensory and then goes to the planning. And, and so the reason it's important is this. It's called the limiting principle. This is not the same as limited capacity to process information. Those are two entirely different concepts. We talked about limited processing capacity in the first lecture. Limited limiting principle is as follows. Let me illustrate it first. I'm a goaltender in hockey. You have the puck and you shoot it and it goes by me. It goes by on this side and I move like this. Now the coach looks at me and says, you need to get faster. No, wrong. You don't know where the problem was. You shot the puck here. Is the problem, I didn't perceive it, so stage one, I didn't perceive the puck. Is it, I perceived it, I saw it, but I made the wrong decision? I thought you were shooting there, so I decided I would move this arm. Or is it, I saw it, I made the right decision, and instead of sending the signal to this arm, I sent the signal to that arm. Which of those is the problem? So the goaltender coach who says, you need to get faster, you need to get better, is not helping the situation. You need to analyze it very carefully and say, well, here's what the problem was. You didn't see the puck. You saw the puck, but you made the wrong decision as to how to stop it. All right? So it's important that you understand the end result doesn't tell you what you did wrong. Students often come to me after a quiz or an exam and say, I don't know what I did wrong. How can I get a better mark? And my answer to them is, well, you first have to figure out what you did wrong. Did you read the question correctly? If you did, did you understand the question? If you understood it, did you remember the concept? If you remembered the concept, did you pick the wrong answer? Or did you actually circle the wrong one by accident? Which one of those was the problem? Until you identify, well, I got number seven and number 12 wrong. That's, that's no use. What did you do wrong on those questions? So you've got to analyze the stages. All right. So let's get into some more uh, terminology here that will help us understand this uh, issue of motor learning a little further. We're going to talk about how we classify skills, and we're going to define what it means to be a skilled performer. So here's one way you can classify skills. You can talk about the domains or the areas of skills. We have motor, cognitive, and perceptual. And there is some overlap between them. Some activities require all three. Some it's basically just one of the three, some it's two, etc. So what do those things mean? Well, the cognitive domain deals with what do we know? What can we do? So in university, we test this all the time. 
on exams, midterms, finals. We want to know what do you know. So we give you a test and you fill in things and you, okay, that's what you know. We could just as easily give you something like a motor and say, well, take this apart. Or we could give you a cadaver and say, well, I want you to identify these muscles and these nerves and these things, and I want you to explain how the respiratory system works, whatever. So that's what you know. The perceptual is dealing with our ability to discriminate between different types of stimuli. So as I'm talking on, the, on and on at the front here, how many of you are smelling anything? But now if I stop, you smell whether it's the coffee or somebody's lunch or some garbage on the floor, or the perfume next to you. Right? Now all of a sudden your perceptual abilities are being used. Some of us are better at smelling than others. Some of us are better at hearing than others. Some of us have finer sense of touch than others. And then the third one is the motor ability. And motor involves how we either move our limbs through space or our body through space. And the quality of those movements generally is important in, in motor performance. So let's take motor skills and break them down even further. We can classify motor skills into a variety of continuum. We're going to deal with five of them. Now, a continuum means basically a line that runs from one end to the other. You've got extremes at either end, and things can fall anywhere along this continuum. So we have five continuum. Here are the first three. And notice, <coughs> I will be in a moment referring to the... Uh, the sort of subtitle for each one of these, the main title is Environmental Predictability, Movement Initiation, etc. So there's three, and there's the other two. Okay? Now, what we're going to do is go through each one of these and each end of the continuum separately. So let's start with the first one. The environmental predictability. At one end you have open, at the other end you have closed. An environment is considered open if it's unpredictable and constantly changing. Unpredictable, constantly changing. And what that means is your movement pattern has to adapt. So when you walk through campus at 2.30 in the afternoon and everybody's changing classes and you go through Very Hall, you know how crowded that is and you're kind of, you can't do the same thing every day because it's different every day. People are in different spots. It changes from second to second. You can't predict what's going to happen like two seconds ahead of time. That person might move over here, they might move there, etc. So if you can't predict very far ahead of time, we have an open environment. It's an open skill. And then what that means is you can't use a stereotype movement. Stereotype means the same movement over and over again. You can't do that. If you followed the same path every day through Very Hall, you're going to run into people and things. Because stuff gets moved around there all the time. One day they have poster sales, another day they have bake sales. There's always different things happening in there. All of the team sports are primarily open skill. So basketball, football, soccer, volleyball, 
Anything where you don't know what's going to happen from one instant to the next is an open skill. The other end of this continuum is a closed skill, where the environment is very predictable. Most of you have probably noticed in my courses, I generally pace around the front of the lecture hall. Why am I able to do that and still lecture and think and make up examples on the fly? The answer is because it's a very predictable environment. The floor is completely flat. There are no cables running through it. So I can do stereotype movements, right? walking, not thinking about it. I don't trip over anything. Right? So there's an example of a closed skill. Playing golf is a closed skill. It's incredibly predictable. The ball never moves. It's going to sit there until I whack at it. Throwing darts. Right? The board doesn't move. It sits there. I can, yeah, OK, I'm going to throw now. Those would be examples of closed activities. Now, the reason we talk about these classifications is because if you want to learn a new motor skill or teach somebody a motor skill, these are very helpful. What does the PKIN instructor do at the beginning of a practicum course with respect to open and closed skill? They close the skill for you to make it more predictable. Think of a little child learning baseball. What do they call baseball for little kids? T-ball, right. The little kid doesn't have to swing at a ball coming at them. They put the ball on top of a stake. And they say, OK, kid, go ahead and whack at it. What have they done? They've closed the environment down. When you learn to play basketball, they don't throw you in the middle of a game. They say, here's a ball, practice dribbling. No one's going to steal it from you. They have closed the environment down. So generally speaking, when you're trying to learn an activity, you close the environment, make it easier to learn, and then you gradually open up the environment as you go. The next way we can classify skills is how we initiate movement. So we have self-paced and force-paced as our two categories. Self-paced, as the name would imply, you get to decide when do you go. So let's pretend you're playing golf. The ball's sitting there. No one tells you you have to shoot. You decide, yeah, I think I'm ready. And you swing, whack the ball. Playing darts again. When do you throw the dart? There's no one trying to tackle you, so I, oh, I better throw it now. You stand there and you say, eh, okay, I'll throw it now. Okay? Those would be self-paced activities. You, as the performer, decide when you're going to do your thing. Force-paced, outside stimulus determines it. Here, most team sports fall into this. Right? If I'm dribbling the basketball and you're trying to check me, your action will determine what I do. If you come and try and steal the ball, I might shift to my other hand. I might move over in this direction. So I'm forced by outside stimuli to respond. In martial arts, if I throw a punch at this guy, he's got to respond by getting his head out of the way. Right? So outside stimuli create the, uh, in, the uh, incentive to move. 
So I initiate my movement based on outside. Task organization gets a little more complicated. Our two ends here are discrete and continuous. So discrete means the action has a recognizable beginning and end. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's the remote. Catch. Right? You caught it. Good. So it's over. Right? Recognizable beginning and end. Yeah, it lasted like a second, two seconds. I tossed it to you. Here's a match. I light it. Beginning, end. Done. So, recognize it. Shoot a foul shot in basketball. Done. Right? Recognizable beginning and end. The other end of this is continuous. Continuous generally means the same action is repeated over and over again. So let's take running a marathon. Some students try to argue that running a marathon is discrete. It's got a beginning and an end. Yeah, but the end is like two and a half to four hours later. And what are you doing when you run a marathon? Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Right. Is there a beginning and end? No, you just keep going and going and going and going. It's a repetitive activity over and over and over again. Right? So continuous, yes, everything is going to end. But are you doing one action or multiple actions repeated? That's probably the best way to think about it. Generally, discrete actions are very short, continuous, they go on and on. Now we get to the more confusing part of it. There's a category called serial. So imagine for a moment I am a gymnast doing a floor exercise. So I start here, I run over and do ta-da, and then I move over here and I do a pirouette, and then I go over here and I do a backflip. What have I just done? Well, aside from being foolish, I've done a series of discrete actions. My first one was, ta-da! My second one was a pirouette. Each one of those was discrete, but I put them all together into an action. And we would call that, as it states here, a serial activity. Now, I gave you a facetious one, but what about driving a car? What is that? Discrete, continuous, or serial? It's, it's serial, right? What is starting the car? Push a button, turn a key, right? Then you put it into gear. Each one of those is a discrete activity. Turn the steering wheel, step on the gas, step on the brake. There's one thing that's happening, but there's multiple things strung together. So driving a car would be another example of a serial task. Right? So that's our third method of categorizing. Here's our fourth one. Motor versus cognitive. Well, let's take the activity of playing chess. You become very skilled at playing chess. Is that a cognitive activity or motor activity? Cognitive. It's all thinking. It's like 99.9% .9 cognitive. And 0.1%, well, i got to move the pawn up two squares. Mm, there we go. Right? So it's all cognitive, really. On the other hand, a motor skill is some activity that you do, like walking to class, 
playing basketball, anything that involves our muscles, either moving limbs or our body through space. The fifth of these categories would be which muscles are we using? You have two choices, either gross muscles, meaning big, or fine muscles, meaning small. So what's playing the piano? Fine motor skill, right? Fingers, a little bit of the hands. Takes, what about typing on a keyboard or texting? Fine motor skill. How about walking to your next class or walking to the bus? It's a gross motor skill. You're using big muscles, your legs, to get you to a location. So those are pretty easy to determine. Let's put them and use all five to classify an activity. So let's take juggling. And I've deliberately made this difficult. So what is juggling? Open or closed? How predictable is the environment? Well, for a highly skilled juggler, it's fairly closed. For you and I, it's open. Totally unpredictable. I throw things and they're all, if any of you ever tried juggling three or four balls at once, like, eh, they go all over the place. Totally unpredictable. Which highlights another point, by the way. The more skilled you are, the more closed the activity becomes. When you get really skilled, whatever the activity is, it becomes more closed, more predictable for you. So juggling would be, for skilled performer, would be more closed than it would be open. What about initiation of movement? Self-paced or force-paced? Juggling. Self-paced. You decide when you're going to toss the knives or the chainsaws up to start juggling. right? Discrete or continuous? Well, for a good juggler, it'd be continuous, right? It just keeps on going. For you and I, it's discreet. Whoops! Whoops! We've got to start all over again. Right? So, the more skilled you are, it becomes a continuous activity. What about gross or fine motor skills? Pretty much fine. Like, the control of your hands and fingers in juggling. Cognitive or motor? It's a motor skill. It's not a whole lot of knowledge involved in, in that activity. The next two, try on your own. We can either discuss them next lecture, you can post on Facebook, no, on Moodle, wherever you socially hang out for these sorts of things. All right, I want to show you a couple of videos. What would javelin throwing in the Olympics be? Open, closed? Self-paced, should be what? Closed, self-paced, discreet, until, oops, I hate that when that happens. Nobody gets hurt in these videos, by the way. I hate that when that happens. What, what, is, what should gymnastics be? Self-paced, closed, discreet, right? Not so much. 
The look on his face says it all. How about bowling? Self-paced, right? Closed, very predictable environment. Discreet. Yes, we're here in the pavilion at Manhattan Beach, and you're looking at Christy Ellison. She's up now in the 10th frame. Needs two strikes to win the match. Well, so. he has to be disappointed. <laughs> when do you watch things like gymnastics on television? Once every four years in the Olympic Games. If they wanted to make a lot of money, I've got the answer for when, how to make money with gymnastics. You could have it on television a lot. What you need to do is make it a far more open activity. Gymnastics is close, right? Environment's incredibly predictable. But imagine the balance beam, and it moves. And then you come down, and it's not there any longer, or it's moved a little bit. Or the bars or the rings, all changing. Make it an open environment. If you think about the activities that people watch on television, basketball, football, hockey, are they open or closed? Open, very unpredictable. Gymnastics is boring, right? It's very predictable. Same with diving. Imagine if you could lower the water level and, or raise the water level so you get halfway through your fancy dive and splat. People would be watching that like crazy. It's boring most of the rest of the time. All right. How do we define skilled performance? This course is called Motor Learning Skilled Performance or Skilled Performance Motor Learning. Well, there are a number of important or critical parts to this idea of skilled performance. The first one is this notion of learning. It's a learned ability. You have practiced it. It's not just something that happens. We're going to talk about in a moment how much practice you actually need to become skilled. It's a learned ability to bring about a goal or predetermined results. So the little toddler at the front of the room here who's wandering aimlessly, that's not learned or skilled performance because there's no goal. They're just wandering aimlessly. The next thing that has three components to it. A skilled performer is incredibly accurate. The difference between a good hockey player and a not so good hockey player, the good hockey player is able to pick the corners in the net, find the opening, boom, they score. The not so good performer can't do it, misses the net, whatever. Same in basketball, highly skilled performer, both skilled typists, they always hit the right keys. Minimum amount of time. A skilled performer gets things done very quickly. The difference between a player in the NHL versus the AHL, which is the minor league, the NHL player, the puck gets on their stick and it's off their stick and it's in the net. Toronto, Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews scoring goals like crazy because the puck is on a stick and then it's gone. Other players, not so much. The puck's on their stick, they look, they think, and eh, the puck's gone. So very accurate, very quick. Minimum outlay of energy. Skilled performers actually often look lazy. They look like they're not trying very hard. Why is that? 
Because they're so skilled, they just know exactly what to do. Watch a skilled plumber, a skilled electrician, a skilled athlete, a skilled musician. They make it look so easy, everything they do. If you've ever watched a jogger who's taking up jogging for the first time, like they're 40 years old, they've never been jogging, and, oh, I'm going to get fit. So they start, and you watch them as, oh my god. It's painful to watch. Like they're <laughs> trying to jog. And then watch somebody who's been jogging for years, right? They're just kind of, <laughs> no big deal. The skilled performer minimum outlay of energy. So I have a video here. I hope it works. It didn't work last class. It shows a spectator who jumps onto a track and in this very long race. And a security guard jumps on and chases after them. The security guard and the spectator are running fast, as hard as they can. The racers, the runners, are running casually and pulling ahead. These two dudes are working like crazy, and they're not catching up. So hopefully this is going to play this time. It doesn't. I'm going to switch here for a second. We're a spectator running SP. Here we go. Oh, hang on. Pause. Oh. I stopped it as opposed. Where's full screen? There we go. All right, so look at the two dudes behind, going like crazy. And they're falling behind the other folks who are casually running along. See if I can show you that one more time here. Ooh, look at me, I'm cool, bozo. See how hard they're working? And the other guys are getting further ahead, but just casually running along. That's skilled performers, whether it's running, plumbing, whatever it happens to be. All right, now let's take those four characteristics that I just described and say, all right, let's put accuracy here. What was the second one? Time and energy was over here, right? Now, in the game of golf, what's important of those three characteristics? Accuracy is, does time matter? Nope. How about energy? Nope. So we'd say golf would fit into this part, right? Right about here somewhere. Yeah. How about the next one? Table tennis. Now, you and I in our basements play ping pong, right? We kind of, woo, whack, it's like you're holding a frying pan and you do. If you ever watch high level table tennis, it's like, holy cow. You get dizzy watching it, the ball goes back and forth so fast. What matters in table tennis? Does accuracy matter? Yeah, you've got to make that white ball land on that tiny green table. So accuracy matters. Time, does it matter? Yeah, because if you're too slow, the ball goes by you. So time is important. What about energy? Yeah, you play for 45 minutes, you get real tired. So table tennis is kind of in the middle of that. All three of those matter. 
How about running a marathon? Does accuracy matter? Like we can all put our foot onto the pavement, right? It's not that tough. So accuracy, not so important. How about time? Well, yeah, it's important because it's a race. How about energy? Yeah, conservation of energy is quite important as well. So that would kind of be between time and energy. Accuracy, not so important. So here I am I last summer, mountain climbing, rock climbing, whatever you want to call it. What matters? Accuracy? For sure, accuracy matters, right? Wrong step and you're meal splat. You don't think that's me. I can tell by looking at you. You are no way is that him. Look at the haircut. Come on. Okay, so accuracy matters. Does energy? Yeah, energy conservation, for sure it matters. How about timing? Not really, right? This is not a race to get to the top. It's just find your right foothold and take the next step up. That's actually not me. This is me here. <laughs> All right? So anything you think about, you can, how much of those components matter in that activity? And this will help you either to learn or if you're trying to teach somebody, which of these things is important to, to stress when we're trying to learn. Now, there are some <coughs> pardon me. There are some connotations that go along with skilled performance. How good you are as a performer goes beyond innate abilities. Innate means things you are born with. All right? So this guy, I'll come back to the slide in a moment. This guy is not a skilled basketball player just because he is tall. Like this guy's like seven foot twelve. He can dunk a basketball standing on the ground. That doesn't make him skilled. Okay? So skill is not an innate issue. It's all about Oops, sorry, I went the wrong way. It's all about practice, developed through training. There's no such thing as an overnight success. If you study highly skilled performers in any category, <coughs> pardon me, what you will find is the rule of 10. It probably took them at least 10 years, 10, 10 years, or 10,000 hours, whether it's the Beatles as musicians or Justin Bieber. They all took a great deal of time. You can find videos of Justin Bieber when he's three, four years old with his little fake guitar and drum set, practicing and practicing and practicing. And then he became an overnight success at 15 or whatever age he became a big star. The Beatles, the same thing. They spent thousands and thousands of hours practicing. Then they became an overnight success. Okay? It's the same in sport. People make the NHL. Whoa, wow. Must, no, he practiced forever. Basketball, etc. Plumbers, electricians. When you learn a trade, you become an apprentice. For how long? Five years. Five years of apprentice. And I think it's like 9,000 hours are required when you're doing that apprenticeship before they sign off and say you are a skilled plumber, electrician, whatever. All right? So that is the distinction between ability and skill. 
Let's take three-point shooting in basketball. The arc is like 22 feet away from the hoop. All of us have the ability to put the ball in the hoop. If I gave you enough basketballs and you tossed them up any way you wanted, eventually you would make it go through the basket. You have the ability to do it. What you don't have is the skill. The skill comes from this practice. When you practice, now it's not one out of a hundred goes in the hoop. It's four out of ten goes in the hoop. Or five out of ten go in the basket. Right? That's skill. Ability, it means, yeah, you can do it eventually. Right? Lots and lots of practice. Now I want to mention one other thing about practice. There's a myth, and most of you have probably heard it. Practice makes perfect. Yes. All that practice does is make permanent. So, my signature should be amazing by now. I have autographed so many pieces of paper in my career here at York. When I say autograph, I mean signed petition forms and course performance summaries and religious observation forms and, and, and. I should have an impeccable handwriting. My handwriting is gross. It's disgusting. I'm ashamed to admit it's my handwriting. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Right? Now, next connotation of skilled performance. Not only are you able to score highly, be accurate, etc. You are efficient and economical. Skilled performers usually look lazy. People often get on skilled performers. Why aren't they trying? So as an example, if you follow hockey at all in this city, there are two players on the Toronto Maple Leafs. One's called Austin Matthews. One's called Zach Hyman. Austin Matthews, when you watch him, he looks pretty lazy. He just doesn't seem to do anything. He just scores goals all the time. He just kind of is in the right spot. Zach Hyman is like a chicken with his head cut off. He's running all over the skating all over the ice, banging into people, and everybody, wow, he's a great guy. Why doesn't everybody work as hard as him? Well, it depends. If you are highly skilled, you can anticipate where the puck's going to go. You know what's, you don't have to be running around like crazy. One of the favorite players in the city of Toronto with hockey was a guy named Max Domi. He ran around like a crazy man. Compared to Matt Sundin, who played at the same time, like they weren't even, not even close in skill levels. But everybody, whoa, Max Domi, he tries hard. He fights. Ty Domi, sorry, Ty Domi. Sorry, you're right. Uh, now, the other thing that we'll talk about with respect to um, skilled performers is flexibility of operation. And you can all relate to this. At the end of class, you're going to leave the lecture hall, whether it's top or bottom, doesn't matter. There's doors in the way. Uh, I got my bag in one hand. Gee, how can I get through that door? Oh, I always my hand and open the door. 
But now I'm doing my friend a favor. My friend's got a broken ankle, so I got a bag in each hand. Now I come up to the door. Yikes, how am I going to get through the door? Oh, I'll use my foot. I'll kick it open. Maybe I'll use my butt. Push it open. Maybe I'll use my shoulder. Maybe I'll use my head. You are highly skilled walkers. You can figure out lots of ways to get through the door if one route is blocked. Or maybe the door is completely barricaded. I stack the chairs up here. You can't get, what are you going to do? Yeah, no big deal. You turn around and go up the stairs that way. The same thing happens in sport. There's a player on the Leafs right now, Mitch Marner, rookie last year. It was awesome, amazing. Everybody went, wow, look at that guy. He's just unbelievable. This year he's struggling a little bit. Why? Well, one of the things that's happened is the opponents have figured out what he likes to do. And they're not falling for the same tricks that they used to fall for. And he hasn't adjusted yet and figured out what other things can I do that will make me successful. Some of you may have heard of a hockey player named Wayne Gretzky, maybe one of the better hockey players that has played the game. In his first two or three years, was amazing. One season, he scored like 92 goals, which is unheard of. Like, it's just mind-boggling. Now, hockey coaches, hockey players aren't the brightest folks in the world. It took them a while to figure out that he was a good hockey player. After he scored 92 goals in a season, they kind of went, yeah, he can score. We better do something. So they decided to check him very closely. That might have been the end of him, except he was skilled and had flexibility of operation. Instead of staying in front of the net to score goals, he went around behind the net. His goal total went down, but his assist totals went through the roof. So he's behind the net now, saying, come and get me. Come and get me. You're going to come this way? I'll go that way. You go that way? I'll go this way. And then he passed to somebody else. Flexibility of operation. If you are skilled, you will figure out another way to solve the problem and be successful. All right, we'll stop there. We will carry on on Monday. Uh, folks, remember, daylight saving Saturday. Turn your clocks back an hour. Get an extra hour of sleep. Don't be real early Sunday morning. <laughs>